Hello, I'm Stephen Groom, and this is Let God Speak. This week, we will be looking at Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 18 to 29, the climax of this chapter. Historically, the author refers back to Exodus 19, the assembling of Israel at Mount Sinai. But from verses 22 to 24, the author notes the advantages New Testament Christians have over Old Testament Israel. And in verses 25 to 29, there is an appeal to godly living. Please join us with your Bibles open for this important lesson study. On our panel today, we have Daniel Vokerka and Casey Butler. Welcome, Daniel. Welcome, Casey. How are you? Before we begin our lesson study, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will be with us today as we look through um, Hebrews chapter 12 and note the important differences that, and advantages that New Testament Christians have over Old Testament Israel. And we ask this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Let us begin in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. And it starts off with the experience of Israel at Mount Sinai and contrasts this with what Christians do. But first of all, what was Israel's experience in verses 18 to 22, Casey? Mm. Yes, well, it reflects on quite a dramatic experience of uh, the people of Israel. And if I just read verse 18 to 21, it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it should be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. So this was an experience where God's presence descended on the Mount Sinai. And accompanying all of that, there was, you know, the smoke and fire and quaking and everything. And the people were just quite, um, you know, taken aback Terrified. by the, the, that experience. Yeah. So um, in Hebrews, uh, the writer is reflecting back on this experience to make his point. Thank you for that. This must have been a terrifying experience um, for the Israelites as, as um, first given in Exodus um, chapter 19. What is the point of, of bringing that up in the text for us here in, in Hebrews? Well, um, I think it's important because um, back then the people were just made aware of the holiness of God. They have just come through uh, Egypt where there were idols, where there were you know so many different gods and so on. And God just wanted to show them that he is the one and uh, only God, and he wanted to impress them about his holiness. And this was also supposed to impress them uh, about the not just the holiness of his character, but his law as mm. well. And so likewise for us, I think the author here is uh, essentially um, telling us as well that likewise we should also be um, 
be aware of God's holiness yeah. as we um, as we keep his law. Thanks for that, Daniel. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that you said that the law is a transcript of God's character. Mm-hmm. So this is important, isn't it? Yes. If we mm-hmm. align and misalign God's law, we also do that to his character, which is God doesn't want us to do that. Let us um, look at the beginning of verse 18. It says that uh, the author stresses that you have not come to Mount the mountain burning with fire, um, mm. being touched um, by God, etc. And so New Testament Christians um, haven't experienced this scary, terrifying event mm. that Old Testament Israel have to. Why does he stress this, Casey? Mm. Well, he's wanting to contrast what the New Testament uh, experience is. And if you look at the very... Um, next verse in that to that section so verse 22 it starts with the word but and so now he's about to explain what uh, as a contrast isn't it yeah with the previous text correct so he's explaining what we as christians get to experience now and if i just read what that says um, verse 22 to 24 it says but you have come to mount zion and to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so basically he's just explaining here that we have a much better experience in Jesus' new covenant and that we are able to uh, come into that experience um, almost virtually um, because instead of being back in Mount uh, Sinai, it's yep. Mount Zion. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and on that point, that brings up another question. I mean, it's good that we don't have to go through this terrifying event that Israel had to, but uh, he talks about us speaking to the person reading the text. Mm. He says that... Um, We've come to Mount Zion. How is this possible? I mean, Mount Zion was where the the city of the temple was built upon. Mm. But um, I don't know about you, but I've never been to Israel. Mm. How is it possible that New Testament Christians have done all these things? Hmm. Well, so the author here is speaking figuratively. He's not saying that we literally come to uh, Mount Zion, but rather in a figurative sense. Um, and so that's how uh, he can say that Christians have come to Mount Zion. Oh, thank you for that. And so noting the importance of these uh, figurative events that he's speaking about, let us go through each of these phrases um, and to see what they mean in, literally for us. What does he mean by the, the, the fact, and we'll deal with this first, that Christians have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the New Jerusalem, which is mm. spoken of in verse 22. Mm. Well, as you mentioned before about the, new, the Jerusalem, the ancient Jerusalem was um, sort of like um, affectionately called Mount Zion back in the time. And um, so basically this was the center, almost like the capital of where God's people were. And it's also where the presence of God was and where people worshipped. And so when it's talking about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, this is um, referring to still where God's presence is literally today. But of course, we are not there uh, literally, Literally, but we can be there by faith. 
So as we, you know, by faith worship God, by faith pray, by faith engage with his word, um, we are able to uh, sort of enter into that New Jerusalem experience. And because God is everywhere, he's omnipresent, yeah. um, he recognizes that worship. So, so in a figurative sense, when, we, when we're involved in spiritual service, we are figuratively communing together, do you think? Yes. even though we're far apart. Correct. Yes. Oh, wow. That's, that's good. Mm. So um, next point is what is the meaning of or the significance of Mount Zion and the festive gatherings in verse 22? And I don't believe this is in all um, Bible versions, is it? Yeah, that's that's correct. And um, the festal gatherings, that's actually mentioned in the RSV. And um, in my Bible, it also has a little footnote um, in, but it's actually in verse 23 where it refers to the general assembly. And that's actually the festal gathering. Um, and so the festal gatherings, um, historically, uh, these were where the children of Israel gathered together um, every year. There were seven of them, including the Feast of the Passover and also uh, Pentecost. And it was it was a time of joy. Mm. It was a time of celebration. This wasn't uh, something where people were sullen or anything like that. They were joyful. And that's very important. Mm. Um, but um, because later on, uh, it actually talks about that, how this... Uh, this festal gathering. This is what's actually happening in in heaven, mm. and it's happening as a result of Jesus coming in to the courts of heaven, having just won the victory over sin and death, and um, the all, the whole of the assembly of angels rejoices. Um, and also uh, the significance of Mount Zion. This is also the place where Jesus's kingly rule, priestly ministry and the inauguration of the new covenant takes place. Mm. And, and also I believe that where Jerusalem is and Mount Zion is where Jesus will um, set his new Jerusalem mm. when he comes back down at the third coming. Is that correct? Mm. Mm. Yes. Thanks for that. Uh, let me go to verse 23 as we move along. Um, he says, you have come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. So I'd like to ask you, can you unpack this text for us, Casey, a bit? As we look once more in the, into the, the meanings of these figurative mm. terms. Yeah, so basically um, when Jesus was inaugurated, he then went on to do a work of ministry in in heaven, um, in, in the sanctuary in heaven. And his focus there is really on being able to help us in our Christian journey get all the way from start to finish. And uh, it's interesting when you notice in that verse 23, because it talks about the firstborn who are registered in heaven. That's referring to every Christian who has gone um, on the Christian journey and been born again. Um, and it also mentions to the spirits of just men made perfect, which is, is talking more about mature Christians. So people who have gone so and grown through it. can be also translated mature. Mature. Teleos, yeah. Correct. Yes, yeah. that's true. And so, yeah, Christ wants to take us all through that journey. And then ultimately, God is the judge of all. So he will ultimately judge us. But he's also the one that's taking us through. Um, and so that is what I, I sort of see in this text. But also it reminds us, me of what it says earlier in Hebrews, in Hebrews 4, 16, where it talks about 
um, how we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Uh, and that is because Christ wants to minister to us there. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. Uh, staying in this text, um, verse 23 speaks about um, the assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. And it, it seems to imply that there's books in heaven. Um, can you expand about, does anywhere in the Bible that speaks about this, this record of people's names in heaven? Well, uh, y- yes, it does. And I do wonder what kind of record they have. I don't believe they're actual books. Uh, they could be DVDs or USBs or something. I, I don't something know. Something better than Something we know. better, exactly. Yeah. But um, there are actually three books. There's, of course, the Book of Life. Then there's a book of remembrance and the book of remembrance. This is where God himself, he he writes down the names of people who like he actually wants to, okay, in in a way, remember. It's like these people have done these wonderful things and he wants to remember them. And of course, there's a book um, of sin. Where is that found? And uh, so these uh, these references, so the book of life that refers, uh, so that's found in Daniel 12 verse, uh, verse 1 and also Revelation 21, 27. The book of remembrance is in Malachi 3, 16 and the book of sins is in Isaiah 65, yep. uh, 6 to 7. And the most important book, of course, is the book of life. Yep. And we want to have our names written in that book. That's important. Mm. Whatever we've done, we've all sinned and fallen mm. short, but we want our names in the book of life, don't we? Mm. Um, in regards to judgment, the Bible speaks of two types of judgment. The first one is well known. That's executive judgment. Mm. But also there's an investigative judgment we'll be dealing with now. So can you explain um, quickly what the ex- executive judgment is, Casey? Mm. Yeah, so briefly, it's, it's basically when God gives um, all of us, both righteous and wicked, um, our deserved reward after the second coming. After, at the end of time. Yeah. So then what is the second type of judgment, an investigative judgment, Daniel? Yeah, so the investigative judgment is an evaluative judgment. Mm. And this happens before the second coming of Christ. Mm. Yes, thank you. And so um, looking more in this lesser known type of judgment, this can be found in Daniel chapter 7. And I'd like to know if you can expand on that or prove an investigative judgment from Daniel Mm. chapter 7 for us, please. Casey? Yeah, sure. So in Daniel chapter 7, it, it um, portrays a scene of God sitting on a throne and there's fire all around and there's angels, thousands of angels all around. And um, the books, which, which Daniel mentioned before, yep. um, are opened and obviously a judgment is, is taking place. And this is in Daniel chapter 7, around about verse, verse 10. Yep. And um, Then it goes on to explain details of what happens in that judgment. And the way that we can um, understand what the outcome of this judgment is, um, in verse 22 of Daniel 7, it talks about that the judgment was made in favor of the saints. Yeah. Um, And so we know that it's in favor of the saints. But we also know in verse 12, it talks about um, the dominion of the opposers to the saints. So this is like the other side. The dominion of the opposers is is taken away. So in other words, the little horn. Yes, that's correct. Which is another 
professed religious power, is it not? Yes, that is correct when you study it um, yeah. further. Um, and so, yeah, the dominion is taken away. So the, in a sense, they're, they're given a judgment, but the, the execution of that judgment is not till later because it says that their lives are prolonged for a season. Yes. So even though, though you know, they, they've been seen to be, you know, going in a certain direction, um, uh, God has uh, given them more time yes. just until it's fully played out. Thank you for that. And this is a very controversial chapter, um, very relevant to the New Testament. And many people believe that it's speaking about the second advent. But if you look at verses 13 and 14, it talks about the Son of Man, we believe is Jesus, coming before the Father, Mm. not to earth. Mm. So I think that's an important point. They come before the Father and they open books together and decide who's going to make up the kingdom, don't they? That is true. Actually, just on that point, in uh, in verse 14 in Daniel 7, yes. it says that then to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom. And after um, Jesus' resurrection, he comes to his disciples and he says, all authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. Yes. So that's, that's the event that's spoken mm. of here. Thank you for that, um, Daniel. Now, in verse 23... It talks about the general assembly we've talked about before. Is there any New Testament reference to the investigative judgment, Daniel, seeing this is so important? Well, yes, uh, there is. And a more relevant uh, reference of this kind is actually given in Revelation 14, where, um, uh, and in fact, this whole network is, is based around that, the three angels' messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in particular, it says, uh, you know, uh, the angels say, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment mm. is come. Yeah. Uh, it's here already. It's here already. So it can't be an executive judgment. Exactly. Mm. It has to be some sort of judgment before his second coming. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. So we believe in sort of a, summary that verses 22 to 24 of chapter 12 um, refers to better experiences of the new covenant that Christians have over Mm. Old Testament Israel. However, how could any judgment be better than um, or be good news? How could it be a positive thing? I mean, when you think of courtroom scenes, you think of punishments, you Mm. think of fines, you think of prison. Mm. How could it be good news? Mm. Yeah, well, it's it's a good question because certainly our associations here are, are not not something that's good. But the amazing thing about the, the judgment room in heaven is that Jesus, who is there, he is our judge, but he is also our defense lawyer, our advocate, mm. and he has also paid our sentence already. That's amazing. So all of those things are all contained in Christ. Mm. And um, if you're going to go to a judgment room when that is the scenario, well, that's a totally different situation. Yes. Um, there is a prosecuting lawyer, and that's Satan, um, who is always trying to accuse us. But there is he's got a lot, a lot to be up against in terms of Christ and what he has done for us. And um, so basically Christ in, in the judgment is very much on our side, very much wanting to get us through um, all the way to the, other, to the other end of the judgment in a, into a positive place. And actually that's wonderful news mm. because this judgment is rigged, but it's rigged in our favor yeah. because it says that the judgment is made in favor of the saints. Mm. And yeah. that's just wonderful news. Yeah. 
But there is work for us to do because mm. Satan's accusations are probably correct. So the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. It, it's, we need to take notice of yes, that and cooperate definitely. with Christ's work and overcome our sins. Mm, so on that point. Coming to verse 24, it talks about Jesus being the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, which is the offerings of the old covenant. How is the new covenant, Daniel, better than the old covenant? Well, you see, the old covenant covenant was about um, sacrifices, the blood of bulls, the um, blood of lambs, uh, the blood of animals. And these, the festival, festal gathering. Exactly. Yeah. And these all prefigured um, Jesus' sacrifice. Mm. But also the old covenant, because uh, Paul also says um, if there was no need, um, sorry, if the old was good, there was no need, there would have been no need to um, to, to have a new covenant. Mm. The old covenant, the children of Israel, they said, whatever the Lord has said, we will do. So they tried to do that in their own might. Yes. Mm. And unfortunately, they failed. Yeah. Um, and in the new covenant, God says that he will write his laws not on tablets of stone, but in our hearts and in our minds. Mm. So we will want to do we, we will want to keep his law simply because we love him. It'll be like a love response. Mm. In that way, it's a better covenant. And so that's important, isn't it, that, um, that we don't try and be good by ourselves, that mm. we work together with Jesus and through his spirit live the life of a Christian. Mm. Is that important? Yes. Mm. In verse 24 that, we, that I just read, it mm. speaks of the blood of the sprinkling mm-hmm. and it speaks of better things than Abel. What does this mean, Kate? Mm. Yeah, well, Abel was the first generation after Adam and the Bible records in Genesis about him being one of the people who who was involved in um, doing the animal sacrifices as part of a, a system of worship for atonement. Yep. And um, all of those sacrifices, as Daniel mentioned before, was pointing to the work of Christ and his sacrifice ultimately for you know atoning for our sins. And what the writer here in Hebrews is is highlighting is the fact that um, the the things that were what Abel was involved with the, with the animal sacrifices, the only merit of that is really in in its fulfillment in Christ. And so the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Uh, for atonement for us is what is of greatest value. And this work Jesus does in the heavenly sanctuary. Um, and he's doing that for us even now you know, as part of his intercessory ministry. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, that, um, now we come to the um, warnings and admonitions from verses 25 to 29. Let us look at verse 25. It says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. What is this talking about, Daniel? Well, um, of course, we know that ancient Israel was terrified of the voice of God. They were, uh, they were in awe of his majesty, in awe of his holiness. Mm. Um, and, but, but that was done on earth. But now... Uh, Paul is saying these things are being done in heaven. How much even more should we uh, be aware of God's holiness? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we need to be very uh, reverent as we uh, as we approach God. We need to be aware of his holiness. Mm -hmm. And um, 
we need to beware of making the same mistake that Israel did. That's very important, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Learning from what's been previously written in the Word. Yeah. Now we come to verse 26 to 28, and it talks about um, the shaking in the past. Mm. Talking about Old Testament Israel, when God came down the mountain, it says that his voice shook the earth, and he has promised, saying, Let once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And yet once more indicates the removal of those things which were being shaken as of things which are made and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Um, So he's talking about a future shaking. Mm. What is this future shaking, uh, Casey? Mm. So this is referring forward to the second advent of Christ when he comes. And I think the key uh, that gives us the clue to this is actually in verse 28, the very next verse, the first line of it. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And so it's this kingdom idea of what is what is to do with being shaken. So if we are receiving God's kingdom, Mm. um, then we will be of the side that would endure through any sort of shaking um, at the end of time. But if we are not in God's kingdom and if we are you know, holding on to sin or following the, the ways of Satan, then that is ultimately going to be shaken out of existence because yeah. God wants to make a, a whole new universe that's free from that element. So, so it's important that we, how we live now decides how we, um, what happens to us when we face God in the future. Definitely. Right? Yeah, that's correct. Verse 29 tells us that um, that we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear. So here's God admon- giving us admonition to live mm-hmm. a godly life. For our God is a consuming fire. What does this refer back to, Daniel? Well, uh, it actually refers back to Exodus 19. We can go there right now. Um, and uh, in, in Exodus 19 from verses 17 onwards, um, and in particularly in verse 18, it says this. Now, my Mount Sinai was completely in smoke hmm. because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. If you would like to think of the sun, so sun is a ball of fire, a ball of burning gas, and it is, um, that's just what it is. If the sun came like to, to the earth or something, it would, it would consume it. In a mm. similar sense, God here, that's, that's who he is. He is a consuming fire. Mm. And um, he, uh, that's just his, uh, his essence. And uh, it just says um, about his holiness. And that's the, um, the outcome of it. The mountain Being just burns in it. fire. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's correct. Thank you for that, Daniel. Mm. And so the main point of that is God being a consuming fire. I mean, we either allow him to consume our sin in our mm. lives now, or if we stick to sin, he will consume us mm. at, at his second coming. Mm. Uh, and thank you for being on our panel. That's all we have time for. In the Old Testament, Israel had to offer animal sacrifices and had an earthly priesthood who also had to offer sacrifices for themselves and for all of Israel. Now all we have to do as New Testament Christians is to accept Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf and let him intercede on your behalf to prepare you for heaven. 
If you have not already done this, why not let him into your life today? It's as easy as that. We're glad you joined us today on Let God Speak. Remember, all our past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Email is, if you wish, on this website. Join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.